a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jason Comstock, and welcome to We Happy Few, the podcast that allows veterans and their families to tell their stories. In this episode, we talk with filmmaker Zane Ogwin about his documentary, Here Am I, Send Me. Well, my name is Zane Ogwin. Um, I'm Utah, born and raised. And uh, I've been a filmmaker interested in filming since I was in elementary school. I always wanted to do acting and directing, so I did theater all growing up. Um, and uh, I realized that acting wasn't really where I wanted to go as much, and you know, filmmaking, directing um, was. So, but yeah, I mean, I started out making Star Wars films with my mom's camera in elementary school, um, and uh, then making other superhero, a lot of Spider-Man, you know, films and stuff like that, just being silly. And uh, then you know, I went to school for it. In high school, I was in charge of all the you know audiovisual stuff. And then I went to UVU, graduated with a, with a degree in film. And, and uh, yeah, and so I started working at a production company, uh, making commercials for local businesses and startups and stuff. And then um, Devin Supertramp, I had a buddy I, I met in school, and he was um, working for Devin Supertramp, and they needed a new guy. And he's like, I know just the one. So he asked me, they had, they had, had me try out for you know, a couple of, come on board for a couple of shoots. And yeah, it worked out. So I've been on with Devin Supertramp for um, three and a half years, almost four years. And, and how many followers does Devin have on YouTube? So on, people get an idea that... Yeah, so on YouTube he has over five and a half million um, subscribers. And we are known mostly for kind of like our action, uh, sports, crazy stuff, you know, slip and sliding out of an airplane, um, slip and sliding off a cliff, you know, just being <laughs> doing a lot of just weird stuff, but... Um, and that's what I mean. Companies like Subaru or Disney and Warner Brothers they they hire us to make their kind of like their internet campaigns because um, like I don't know if you seen we did a Jurassic World spoof but we got hired by Universal to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyways, but then this came along. Um, there was two groups of veterans that we codenamed, you know, the Gold Star and Freedom, and they were going to do this reenactment jump. Uh, Team Freedom, the the um, the distillery, their whiskey company, the Horse Soldier Whiskey, those guys, they were going to do it separately from this Gold Star mom who wanted to jump. Um, and they somehow got connected. I'm not quite sure on that connection of how they got connected. But then um, Matthew Griffin, who we call Griff, who's the one who speaks a lot in our in our documentary, he had a lot of connections with Google. and But he was actually trying – he's reaching out to producers and other uh, local like movie makers. And they were, tra- they were asking for a crazy amount of money. And so Google, which owns YouTube, um, 
you know, they're asking, is there anyone that you guys recommend? And they say, hey, well, Devin, super tramp, these guys, they capture crazy stuff. I mean, we got actually hired on because we knew how to capture jumping out of an airplane. And uh, so... We'll back up just a minute, yeah. though. But say you got hired on... Uh, explain what that means. You got hired on where? Like, who, oh, yeah. who wanted to hire you? What were they trying to make? Okay, yeah. So it was um, just these these veterans, mm-hmm. um, and they just wanted to document it. They, I don't know. So the veterans wanted to do something, and they wanted to. Th- yes, you did, they wanted uh, some filmmaker somewhere to document it. Yeah. So the so the horse soldier guys, mm-hmm. um, they're from Florida. Most of them live in Florida now, and um, they wanted to have it documented as well. Because um, they just wanted to do the parachute, the line jump reenactment mm-hmm. around Canopy. And then Griff, he knew um, Chris May, who was the one who died on his 14th deployment. And his, um, Chris May's mother reached out to Griff and said, hey, I want to jump too. Um, she had zero experience with jumping. Obviously, she couldn't do the round Canopy. So um, Matthew called up uh, Zach Carbo, who also knew Chris, um, and said, hey, cause he's, he's an instructor. Uh, in Washington State, and he um, was like, "Yeah, we if we can get a plane, we can do it." And so they pulled on um, like a million strings and got permission to jump out, you know, tandem style over Normandy. And uh, anyway, so they just wanted to document it, and I think they just wanted to document the fall, like just to jump. That was it. Mm-hmm. And when they approached us, we wanted to make a story out of it, and so. That's how it kind of happened. And did you know right away it was a story? Like, um, I mean, what did they say to you? Uh, well, it was funny. They just said, "Yeah, we're going to be doing this." And also, you guys, um, you need to make sure you guys dress up in World War II uniforms, authentic World War II uniforms. So, um, anyway, so so that's what we did. And it was, I mean, there's only on the team. There's me, Devin Carter, and Bubba at the time. His name was Johnny, but we call him Bubba. So there's just four of us. And. Uh, Anyways, we just went out there. We had th- we had three cameras. Went out and, where? Where'd you go? To Normandy. Okay. Yeah, so we went out to Normandy. And honestly, had you ever been there? No. Okay. Never, and did you there. know much about? Uh... Um, I knew a little bit about, as far as like the the history and and the yeah. beaches and stuff like that. I mean, it's popular just because of movies and other things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but my my whole goal because when I started, they were asking us like, "Hey, what's the plan? What's the plan? You guys want to do this?" And we're like, "Well, we don't really know what's happening." Mm-hmm. And because I don't think they really knew what was happening either, mm-hmm. um, which we can talk about a little bit later because the jump almost didn't happen at all. Even after like these guys have been planning for like nine months and it almost got taken away from them, you know, right at the end. But um, so we we uh, so my thing was, it's like, OK, well, I was in charge. I got this was my project. I got put in charge of it. I was directing it. I was going to be doing the interviews. I was going to be doing all that. Um, and. So I was like, I started asking questions to people. I said, "Hey, what questions would you want to ask veterans?" Um, mm-hmm. And and I really wanted to go the route of these veterans were honoring veterans. Um, most veterans I talk to don't like talking about themselves, um, but they will brag on each other all day long. And so just it was uh, so I knew I had we had a story with these veterans honoring veterans, and then with this mom who was just honoring her son. Like that's why she wanted to jump out. And uh, it, so it kind of turned into this. Um, how can we, what can we do as civilians to honor veterans? Um, and we can learn by an example of veterans, which is kind of, you know, mm-hmm. interesting. So the only thing that I really had mapped out before we went was I knew how I wanted to capture the jump. Uh, we hired, um, the guys who actually filmed it. One of them was a veteran, Larry, who, who we interview on there. 
the other one, um, these guys are Red Bull athletes. They're like the best mm-hmm. parachuters um, mm-hmm. in the world. Yeah. And so they knew how to capture stuff. I mean, they're, they're jumping out, not with just GoPros, like huge cameras on top of their heads. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yes, yeah, so we hired the best. And so we knew how I knew how I wanted to capture the jump. Um, I knew that it was going to be this montage of, and, and, and that's how usually my ideas work as far as filmmaking goes. I just start thinking about something and then um, ideas just come in and I just like kind of go with that. So I knew that's how I wanted to capture it was when she jumped, we're going to show flashbacks of images of her son um, to really showcase like what these people were jumping for. What I didn't know was all these veterans also had their own reasons for jumping. Like we just thought it was just Scotty Domey and jumping on of her son, but then we learned that Griff was jumping with his grandpa's flag, and so so many other soldiers were also jumping with their grandpa's flag, or their grandpa's dog tags, or friends of theirs, um, like medals or purple hearts, and these things. And they jump, and then they take pictures on the field after they jumped it in, and they gifted it back to those those people. Um, so it really turned into something super special. But yeah, so that's how kind of it all got started. So can you talk a little bit, one of my favorite parts of the documentary, there's a scene where you it, you guys are out on a tour just looking at some sites, yeah. and this elderly man comes out yeah. who was, I think he was 10 years old. Will you tell that story and kind of how that happened? Yeah, so <clears throat> that was amazing. I mean, the whole experience, like when we first got there, first of all, it was super intimidating. Um, there's a joke, so Bubba on our team, he was like, Zane, what do we do? Like, we get there, and we're, and we're, like, we're wearing these uniforms, we're feeling like posers, you know, <laughs> and... We actually had people come up and say, hey, you know, thank you. And we're like, oh, no, 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 we're just wearing costumes, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, but we were asked by these military guys to do it. And because we, we said, hey, we kind of feel uncomfortable. But they're like, no, like, this is great. We, you know, we love it. And so there was this uh, this automatic intimidation that was that was there. Um, but Bubba on the team, he was like, Zane, what do we do? Because we're sitting there when we first met him. And um, he jokes about now. He tells a story. and He's like, you talk to them. That's what I said. I don't really remember that. But I was like, you just talk to them. They're human beings, you know. And. So we had this level of intimidation going, and we're try- I'm trying to build rapport because I'm the one who has to interview them. I have to interrupt them while they're in this experience. Um, anyway, so we're driving, and we have these guides who are taking these these veterans, and these veterans are, I mean, these are the, if you research these guys that we are with, I mean, they're all big deals. Yeah. Um, so they're kind of getting a special experience. We go outside of Normandy in this little t- in this little village, and... Um, we get to this house and there's all these names carved in this amazing mural carved in this wall and this little old man comes out and and then uh, our guide who's this frenchman um he introduces this guy and this guy is actually on his um he's not they're saying he's not doing well health-wise and he comes out and we everyone's kind of confused at first and uh but so we're, I'm seeing these men, these people I was intimidated with, and all of a sudden they hear this guy's story, and they, the, the interpreter is interpreting, you know, everything. And I see these men all of a sudden become looking like they were kind of intimidated, or at least in awe. And it was just kind of really fascinating to see that their mm-hmm. kind of reaction. Um, but this old man comes out, and this is not known. Like I, I uh, actually was worried that I wasn't going to be able to find information online after I got home about him to get the whole story because the. The interpre- interpretation wasn't exactly accurate um, as far as when, when we were there and the stuff that I found out later. But his name was Lucien Hasley. He, um, he was 10 years old on D-Day, and um, he his brother was sick. And the, obviously the um, our boys come in and, and uh, around his area, and the, the medic uh, of that squad was, you know, they see... 
this family and the, and the older brother was sick and he's like, I don't have the medicine to help him, but I know what he needs. And he left. And then like the next day, this, this medic comes back with the medicine, saves his brother's life. And then also gives him a warning, says, Hey, you guys need to get out of here. You and your entire family, like this is not a safe area anymore. And, uh, so the, the Lucian exp- uh, describes as when he was 10 years old, he was asked to sleep in his clothes at night by his parents, which never happened. And then, then at night they went and they left and their house blew up. Like it was completely destroyed and they all would have died. So he um, wanted to remember these, these, this squad that, was, that went through his area. And so he built this wall, that, that house that was destroyed, and he built the wall on, that's on the outside of his house. And it has all the names, has this amazing mural, has all these symbols and representations of the the paratroopers that came down. Um, And then he hand carved each individual name um, of the squad. But what he couldn't find, he couldn't, he didn't know the medic's name. He couldn't find him. And so he spent, I mean, as much as his resources were just being this, this Frenchman, you know, in the middle of nowhere, um, he he just didn't have the resources. Well, um, President Roosevelt's granddaughter hears about this story somehow. And she obviously has the means to figure out stuff that most people can't. So she pulls some strings and she gets the name of this medic and she calls him up and she's like, I want to, I'm not just going to give it to you over the phone. I want to hand deliver this. And she goes and she gives this name of, um, I believe his name was Frank Mackey. And that's the name we see. We highlight it in the film. You see it right there. Um, and, uh, and that was the last name he carved into the wall. And, uh, it was interesting because, and I was so touched, and this was the theme that I discovered, you know, while I was out there, was you can do something to honor. And this guy didn't do it to get seen, to to be, because no one knows about it. And uh, and and you, the normal people, you if you go online, you can't find it. It's not it's not part of any tour that you go out there and 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 see when you go if you go to Normandy. But he wanted to do something, just because he wanted to do something. And that was it. He just wanted to pay his respects and honor. Those those people and Scotty Domey, she started crying when she saw this wall and she heard the story, um, because she says her greatest fear is that her son will be forgotten, and that that sacrifice will be for nothing. And then when she sees these names and these people who you know these individuals who are just remembering in the in the, the smallest little ways, I mean this was no this wasn't very small in my opinion it was huge, um, but it meant the world to her and that that affected me and I and I because Mostly, I just wanted to be a sponge. I wanted to just be as aware as possible and see, like, what is happening here. And seeing that was, I mean, that story is amazing. I think you can make a documentary alone on that story um, by itself. But. I think this is a good time to thank the sponsors that make this podcast possible. If you support us, please support them. This episode of We Happy Few is sponsored by the law offices of Edward K. Brass. For more information, visit edbrasslaw.com. Be sure to check out some of the other podcasts from The Loudmouth Project. We at The Loudmouth Project want to thank Steve Bingham Hawk and the Salt Lake Marathon for supporting the Salt Lake chapter of Team Red, White, and Blue by allowing them to run the marathon course as a relay. Instead of handing off a baton from runner to runner, they pass a flag and they don't leave anyone behind. They collect runners as they navigate the course. And when a team of about 40 runners finally crosses the finish line, it's something special to see we got the word that you guys were within range and then all of a sudden i see this massive blob of red so christy our volunteer director and jen our marketing director we all run up there to come see them and it was incredible i mean i was looking at everybody carter's crying jen's crying (laughs) everybody's crying and uh and then what was great is the entire event focused back on the finish line at that point 
Steve said it was a mission of Team Red, White, and Blue, which is to enrich the lives of veterans through physical, social, and service opportunities that moved him to offer the team a -a one-of-a-kind opportunity. I knew we could trust you, and then I knew that whatever you would touch, you, you would have. So that was a big part of it. But also... I mean, I love the mission of Team RWB. I wish everybody had a Team RWB, and they can <laughs> if they yeah. join. Because, uh, you know, we all need to be banding together in, in this world that is continually divisive and and rooted in, in digital, which is disconnecting us all. The Salt Lake Marathon is the largest team event Team Red, White, and Blue offers its members. It's a chance for them to run for those who've served and to honor those lost in service to this country. So to Steve, Salt Lake Marathon, and to all of our veterans, thank you. What's your relationship to military before you do this? Yeah, so I, I have, I have like a great uncle. He was buried in the Philippines, and you know, in the U.S. cemetery over there. I have um, my uncle, my dad's brother. Um, he's active right now. He's, um, I believe, a lieutenant colonel. Um, but he did West Point, um, became a ranger, special forces. Um, so, so he's still very active. And I'm I'm pretty close with him. I, I love him dearly, and that. But so I've always had respect for military. Um, but I, I mean, my life changed going to Normandy and doing this documentary. It, I mean, I I, it, I, I consider myself more of a patriot now than I ever was in my life, and because um, like, I always had respect. That was about it. And now it's like it's such a big part of who I am, and I, I and I just don't ever want to lose that. So that's like as far as like my my experience with military. That's about it. So, I was just gonna say, let's get into the jump. You said the jump almost didn't happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. please. Yeah, so, um, I mean, it's it, it, the 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 stories heard. So the whole time, um, when we split up the teams, we had four of us there. So I sent two guys to go on the planes, and then me and Devin, um, who was the main cinematographer, we stayed down below on the field. Um, and and the whole thing is too is that we service was bad out there, and. We are trying to communicate with the other team, like, "Hey, let us know when they go." And um, but already we're hearing we're hearing rumor that's going to not happen because of the weather. There's major storm clouds going o- overhead, and so there was. Um, I mean, I'm very. And for uh, people who've never been to Normandy, I've been there, but yeah. describe what it looks like. Right? I mean, yeah. it's just farmlands. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like and it's windy. Yeah, it's and, super windy, and yeah. it's rainy on and off, like. And constantly. you can still see the the the, the thing. Yeah, the the metal things that were supposed to yeah the, yes. the, the German yeah. Um, yeah. embankments are things that they put in to try to stop to stop the yes. landing yes which you is see, why they came from so far out yes yeah. exactly you see I mean all that stuff's still there all those structures mm-hmm. like some of the and then there's people swimming and yeah <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> it's like yeah it's, it's a, a weird it's a weird place yeah um, it, totally and, and, but it was um, like if you love history at all you go there man you just you dive right into it and I mean, the feeling in Normandy, too, which is interesting. I actually interviewed I interviewed Larry. He, he, he made the final cut, but the, the other jumper, his name was Andy, the parachuter, who was just an athlete, he was so affected by it, too. And he had no idea. He's like, I'm going to come. I'm going to film a jump. It's business as usual. 
But he was like, I was watching him get emotional. You know, we all, everyone was just trying to emotion. The emotion is just so high there. Also, if you've been to France at all, um, you'll quickly realize that French people don't really like Americans. But if you go to Normandy, they love Americans. Yeah. And we so went that, in, We went in a little town called Bayou, and they uh-huh. had signs up still that said, uh, welcome to our rescuers. You know, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank it's you. Insane. Welcome, Americans. Yeah. yeah. American flags flying yeah. everywhere. You know, yeah. 365. But it's just like, holy cow. So that's that's the area of Normandy. Um and the roads, I mean, super narrow roads. And, uh, I mean, everything Fun was... driving, right? Yes. <laughs> and, 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 and actually, I, I was crazy, too, to learn like, how far away the beaches were from each other. And all that, I mean, the driving was, like, insane. You know, these were, it's, like, hours away from each other. Wow. Um, and everything looks the same. You know, and, and that's what you learn, too. Like, everyone was lost. They talk about, you know, you, the soldiers who, who, the paratroopers, and they get down there, and they're like, hey, where are we at? Like, well, we know we're in France. You know, it's like, that's, that's like, about it. So they... They use the steeples of the churches, you know what I mean? So you see those big churches everywhere, and that's how they navigated because um, they, they start recognizing the steeples. Um, but anyway, so we and Devin are in the field, we and we don't even know if this is the exact place. Of where, so we're like and – and the grass is like up to our waist, and it's just hard walking through it. The grass is just all wet. So we're sitting there for hours just soaked in this grass, like waiting. It's windy. It's cold. And we're just both praying our guts out. And we're praying – not just for our own success, but really for these men. Because that, that actually what quickly turned to was, man, this story was is just their story. And I, and we wanted to make something for these people and uh, and, and, and do it in a, in a manner that was pleasing to them. So it was constant constant uh, worry, constant prayers. But so these guys, I mean, you kind of get a little glimpse of it. They talk a little about Scott Neal talks about their experience was a little different from Scotty Domain and Griff's and Zach, the, the gold star mom, that their experience was a little a little different because they would um, uh, did two separate times of the jump, um, but the, the whole sh- the horse soldiers were the first guys out there. They commemorated the whole thing, and uh, but yeah, so the the weather was just not cooperating at <laughs> all, and it was kind of like I mean they're watching they're seeing all these these pilots and all the you know the air, people in, in charge of everything, um, saying this is not going to happen, you know and. Uh, even though they're on the airplane, everything's ready to go, but it, w- it was just not going to happen because of weather. Well, they, obviously they didn't. They did end up going, uh, but what you don't know is that after they did the jump, they were successful. They all landed in the field, but then the next people who jumped, they were landing on buildings and because of the wind, and they were landing in the streets and causing major issues now with the authorities in that area, and getting pe- a lot of people upset, and uh, people got people getting stuck in trees. It was like it kind of turned into this little bit of a of a nightmare, and our gold star mom hasn't gone. Um, there was also a World War II paratrooper that jumped. We, you see a glimpse of him, um, and uh, but he, so he was scheduled to be um, the Griff. He was like just paying attention to everything because he's hearing all this commotion, and they were saying um, he's going to. They're they're moving the gold. This this World War II vet forward, and they're putting Scotty in their plane behind them, and they're like, well, we're not gonna be able to jump. Because also something else that the the air the airfield was going to get shut down because of all the like President Trump was coming. I mean, it was like all the all the you know these leaders were coming, and so there was a security issues. Um, also, the planes needed to head straight to to London, I believe there was England right after. Um, so, so they were saying like our camera guys wouldn't be able to get dropped off. Like the planes wouldn't have time to land down to drop those guys off. So they would have to go to London and then take a train back. You know what I mean? So it was like, oh my gosh, we can't do that. You know, it was like a nightmare. So Griff's like last minute decision, he's like, we're gonna follow this this um, veteran, this World War II paratrooper, and we're gonna follow him and just get on his plane. Like we're just gonna do it. 
and uh, they didn't really get permission. They just jumped in. They knew that they had extra room, so they all just piled in there, and it was a good thing they did. But even those guys, even at the time, they were like, we can't get up to the right altitude. There are still some issues. Our camera guy almost got completely left. Um, and uh, Griff literally reached down and threw him into the plane to to get him into it, and um, so there was just so many little things that happened. But yeah, this this jump almost got completely taken away from these guys who had planned months and months and spent so much money, you know, getting retrained and um, to do this. And uh, but yeah, it all I think by the grace of God worked out really well. So what was it like for you to sit down and start watching the interviews and start watching and piecing this together? So emotional. Um, it was, I mean, the whole trip was me just trying to build rapport, which I learned is what Rangers do, you know, is just go out and they just build rapport with, you know, people. And, um, so I was fine. I found myself really relating to that and with these guys, but, um, it was so, uh, humbling. Um, I wanted to ask direct questions, but I wanted to ask respectful questions. So I kind of had to juggle that a little bit, but, um, it, it was interesting because my relationship with these with these men was, you know, we would do these interviews, and but we all connected really well and we became friends. And then when the cameras weren't rolling, when microphones weren't there, they'd come up to me and tell me other stories. And and some of them I didn't want to hear. Now I don't think anyone wants to hear, but they, he, you know, they felt like they that I was a listener at that point, so they were telling me things. Um, it was really cool too because. A lot of them would say that talking to me that also they were remembering things that they completely forgot that they had went through and they were grateful for it. Um, um, like just like really good memories during their service and things like that, which was really cool to be a part of. Um, so a, a lot of people don't know, but the most of the time when you see the soldier that we have um, in this film, like with the standing and looking at the parachute, that's me. Um, and... Um, and if you could see my face, I mean, it was just heavy emotions the whole time. And, uh, but yeah, it was, it was incredibly humbling, incredibly life changing. Um, I mean, just because everyone was dressed up in World War II stuff, we're seeing real authentic planes where we're surrounded by these, you know, World War II Jeeps and World War II motorcycles and, you know, all these reenactors. And it was, um, but when you step on that ground, when you get in those areas, I mean, you remember we all turned to each other at one point. And we were just like, did you just feel that? You know, like we just walked in on sacred ground. You know, it was, it was so palpable. Um, and then on top of now hearing uh, what I call sacred stories or sacred experiences from these guys, um, it was very, uh, every day was very exhausting. Because, um, I, I mean, we're worried about capturing footage. I mean, we had, we, we ended up with, uh, I believe, eight to nine hours of B-roll and then six hours of interviews. I mean, Cut it down to a forty-minute, a forty-minute documentary. Forty-minute documentary, yeah. What was the? Uh, will you describe the the poppies? Yeah. So the poppy field was actually like an accident. Um, we were driving by Point de Ho and and we see this poppy field and we're like, oh my gosh, you know. And uh, so Griff and Zach, they get out, they they walk over into this area and they start walking through it, and um, we get our drone. We're getting our drone set up, and. Uh, we're like, we need to get these shots, but it actually started raining. You can actually look closely. You can see that it's raining mm-hmm. at that time. And raining with a drone is just not good. I mean, it's, you're going to, it's just so, so many issues um, with the wind, with the rain, with it getting on the, the water on the camera and the lens. Um, but that was kind of a, a happy accident. It's interesting because the documentary, we, 
we really started realizing that the name of it was going to be Here My Sin Me. Um, but the other name that we were going to use um, was Scott Neal, a quote from Scott Neal, and he says, we were here on a day of destiny because we were meant to be here. And that's really kind of what it felt like was like, it was all these happy accidents, but it was like, we realized it was kind of forming this story. Um, and uh, when we saw this, this poppy field, you know, we knew we had to capture it that way. Um, and it wasn't really until after we started filming a, a bunch of the different shots that I was like, there's going to be words. This is going to be, you know, Flanders Fields. And, uh, um, and I was trying to explain it to the, to the rest of the team, like, this is what it's going to look. You know what I mean? And, 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 of course, when you try to explain it, you can only do so much. And so we sent it off to a v, our VFX guy, and I was like, hey, this is what I want. He sent off three different kind of versions of how the text looked. And, um, but it was like he hit it. He hit the nail on the head. He knew exactly how I was describing it, and it just turned out to be a, a lot of people's favorite part of mm-hmm. the, of the mm-hmm. film um, was that part. And actually interesting, too, um, when I was putting, piecing it together, you know, doing some of the rough cuts, I recorded myself um, saying the poem. I just did it on my iPhone. Um, just to get a placeholder in there. Um, but I was already kind of in an emotional state when I was, you know, watching the scene and then recording it. And uh, then I re-recorded it on a better mic and a better setup. And But we ended up um, using my original iPhone <laughs> iPhone mic quality for that. But, you know, we had our post-audio guy fix that up yeah. and make it work. Well, because you had the emotion of the, yeah. the real, the authenticity. It was. It was like the more, yeah, the more authentic version of me reciting it. So you say it was life-changing. Like, what way has it changed um, you as a filmmaker or as a human being? Um, yeah, both, all. Um, like I said, I, I um, patriot would never be how I describe myself, but it's really kind of turned me into more of one. Um, the whole idea, too, of me going to get a flag, that really was like, I need to go and get a flag for my house, you know? And um, how I... When you see veterans and you see these, you know, these guys wearing, you know, their hats, these veterans wearing their hats or um, knowing it's like just on a different level of respect and, and tenderheartedness for me. Um, and that thank you for your service isn't always what they want to hear, uh, which is, well, you know, I found very interesting. Um, and also, too, I, I had no idea that what this documentary turned into, how the how what it actually turned into. I. Um, I the people who I made it for, um, and I and I don't mean to be too religious, but I'm gonna spend a lot of time on my knees and and cutting that documentary together because I wanted to make something that if Chris Domey could see me making something and being and and having his mom here and then and also these grandparents, these of the greatest generation, you know, I was like, man, uh, I want to make something that's for them, and I I know that this. This type of documentary isn't like what everyone's like searching for and looking for when they watch. It's not, and it's kind of interesting because it's not a historical documentary. I, and I state that right away. I said this is not a history lesson. You know, there's um, some amazing documentaries out there if you want to watch stuff about Normandy and D-Day and and those in World War II. Um, and this really was a a keepsake for because and it, this is kind of funny. Everywhere I go, I usually take a rock with me. Mm-hmm. I find a rock of an area if I go somewhere on a trip, and I and I bring back a rock as a keepsake. And it's more, it's more um, of a souvenir for me than, than going to a souvenir gift shop. Because I, I don't know why. I mean, it's a rock. I, but that's kind of what I realized. Like, this is, this is a rock. This is a keepsake, this documentary. Um, but I wanted to, just like that sand that Zach gave to you know, his loved ones, I wanted this to be the sand I give to mm-hmm. back to these people. Um, and what was really cool is that we, we premiered this documentary in Seattle um, at Amazon headquarters. Um, so we did that to 
uh, active some active military uh, personnel that were there. It was a small group. And then on Veterans Day, we premiered it in a brewery in, in, out just right south of Seattle. Um, and Chris's wife was there. Uh, and this is the first time since he died that, he, that she's attended anything um, that's about him. And Chris's best friends were there and, and, and other people who served with him. And, and then a bunch of other veterans. And uh, that's who I made it for. And it was, it was um, another humbling experience to see them so touched and so grateful for it. And so anything else that's turned into and all the other people that, that it's affected is just a, was kind of like a bonus. You know, it was like, I'm just making this specifically for them. And that's kind of what it turned into. When you make something like this, do you have a, a thought in mind that you want the viewers to, to take away or respond to or do something? Yes, absolutely. So what was it for this? Um, this one was um, to do one thing. And I, um, one of my favorite stories is I believe it's about Gandhi. And when a woman comes and tells Gandhi, she has her son. She's like, tell Gandhi, please tell my son to stop eating so much sugar. He's eating too much sugar. Um, and I don't know if this was Gandhi, but this is who I, I remember in the story. And, and Gandhi says, we'll come back in a month. And she comes back and brings her boy and Gandhi gets on his knees and says, Hey, you know, you need to stop eating so much sugar. And that's all he said. And she's like, why did you wait a month to tell my son to stop eating sugar? He's like, well, because I was eating sugar a month ago. And he's like, I, I didn't have that, that moral authority to tell him to stop eating sugar. And, uh, for me, um, I wanted to do something as well. So you see me have the flag, you know, um, and, uh, but then I, I challenge, I, I, I end it with just doing one thing and, and it, it might seem, insignificant no one will probably ever know about it but i want you to do one thing because i feel like it that's more changing to you and i don't know it, it creates something i feel like in the world if you have that attitude um, which is that edward Everett, you know hell quote that i put in there that i am only one but i am one and uh and that's what i really wanted people to walk away with i wanted and i really also wanted the the next generations to know to learn and see like because it's like this weird thing that you, you almost feel ashamed to be an American. I feel like that's the stigma now. It's like you can't you can't be a patriot if you if you post anything online. You know what I mean? If you do it, it's like you're. It has a weird feeling to it, and and I know the younger generation feels that way because that's kind of what I talked about. You know, I, and I and I asked people, and so having my son there, and that was another part was, I mean, I, I wanted to show like I'm going to teach my son these things, and and I hope you do too. So that's kind of what I, that's really what I wanted people to walk away with when I was piecing the story together. Join us again for the next episode of We Happy Few. If you have comments about the show, please contact us by email at tips at loudmouthproject.com or on Twitter at loudmouthjason. Check out our website at loudmouthproject.com and navigate to the We Happy Few page. You can also find and subscribe to free episodes of our podcast on Google Podcast, iTunes, and other places where you find interesting shows. Be sure to review our show as well. We love to get your feedback, and it helps grow our audience. I'm Jason Comstock, and until next time, keep listening, keep learning, and stay engaged. We Happy Few is a production of the Loudmouth Project.